Hey, Reveal listeners, if you've been listening to American Rehab, you don't need me to tell you about the importance of great investigative journalism. It really helps us when our listeners rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy to do, and it helps others find our show. So we've got a bonus for the next 200 people who review us, Reveal Tote Bags. Like our t-shirts, they're simple and elegant, dark blue with the word facts written across the front in bold type. So here's what you got to do. Text the word REVIEW to 474747, and we'll give you instructions on how to get one while supplies last. Again, text the word REVIEW to 474747. You can text STOP at any time, and standard rates apply. And when you leave the review, if you want to tell them that Al Ledson is your all-time favorite host, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at that. Thank you so much for your review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. Hey, folks, this is Al Letson, And before we get started on today's show, I wanted to tell you about an experiment we're doing that will give you a little something extra while you're listening. So here's how it works. Throughout the show, I'll let you know when there's extra stuff you can see while you're listening. It'll be photos of people you're hearing, uh, a chart that explains some of the data in the story, a link that you can click on. You get the idea. Try it now. To get started, text Hey Al at 202-8-REVEAL. That's 202 202- Again, that's 202-873-8325. You will get a really pretty picture. Listen for more cues throughout this episode, and we'll send you more stuff. Now, let's get started with the show. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. Making babies. Either it's not on your mind right now or it's all you think about. Melissa Pineda and her husband David have spent a lot of time thinking about it. All we wanted was to hear we were pregnant. The Pinedas live in Southern California, an epicenter of the baby-making business. It has one of the highest concentrations of fertility clinics anywhere. Melissa and David grew up near the port of Long Beach, where she's a union longshore worker, and these days he's a stay-at-home parent. They got together years ago in a whirlwind romance. Well, we knew each other growing up as teenagers, but we never dated. And then we ran into each other uh, at work, and um, eight weeks later we were married. They're a cute couple. You can see a photo of them by texting the word PARENTS to 202-873-8325. That's 202-873-8325. So after Melissa and David got married, they started raising their children from previous relationships together. We have these kids and all of our time and attention, our whole lives are directed at them. But they hoped their family could grow. From the beginning, we really loved each other and felt like we've been blessed. And we were a good team. We were a really good team and we wanted more babies. But they needed help. So, like many would-be parents, they look to fertility doctors to make their dreams come true. Even though David admits he felt conflicted and anxious about getting medical help. There's so much more to it than just, oh, we woke up one day and said, let's have a baby. Melissa had some experience with in vitro fertilization, known as IVF. When she was 34, she went to a clinic a friend had recommended, the Pacific Reproductive Center, run by Dr. Rafat Salem. He made it seem like um, having a baby was going to be an automatic. I would never have to think twice or worry because of my age and my health was good and everything would be fine. 
So Melissa signed up with Dr. Salem and started taking fertility drugs and hormones, sometimes by giving herself painful injections. It's thick, it's oil, and you have to push it through and you feel it going in, but you alternate your sides and it's all joyous because you know this is how you're gonna have a baby. That first time, Melissa had a baby, just as Dr. Salem predicted she would. So four years later, she returned to his clinic as a satisfied customer, hoping for another child. I don't want to be the best longshoreman. I don't want to be the best friend. I want to be the best wife and the best mom. That's what I want to be. That's who I've always wanted to be. She felt ready for the routine. Hormone drugs, eggs removed, fertilization, embryos transferred from a Petri dish into her womb. When Melissa got home from the clinic, she curled up on the couch, surrounded with comfort food. Beans, bean and cheese burritos, macaroni and cheese, eggs, everything delicious and good, and that makes me happy and feel good. And we were all excited to have a baby, you know, all the family. She was nesting there, willing the embryos to take hold, when her cell phone rang two days later, mid-morning on a Sunday. Melissa recognized the number right away. It was Dr. Salem. I answer it, and he says, Melissa, Melissa. And I said, Dr. Salem? And he said, yes, I need you to come into the office. And I said, I can't. My husband's not home. I'm on bed rest. And he said, well, call your husband and have him bring you in. This is my cell phone number. Call me when you get here. Melissa called David. They drove together to the clinic. The parking lot, with room for 50 cars, was almost empty. When they went inside, Melissa says Dr. Salem wanted to examine her. A nurse named Kate took her to a patient room, where Melissa lay on an exam bed. Melissa describes what happened next. The details aren't easy to hear. He comes in, and he sits down on a rolly chair, and I could see his bald head between my legs, and I felt... um, a speculum go in there, like a pap smear, you know, and and then all of a sudden it hurts really bad, and I hold on, and I can feel myself tightening and holding on, and Kate's holding my shoulder, and she's like, don't move, don't move, you're, you're doing good, you're doing good. But Melissa didn't feel like things were going well at all. It's hurting, it's burning, it felt like he was... You know, like when you scrape a pumpkin, when you clean out the inside of a pumpkin and you just keep scraping the inside and then you can feel like the the outside of the thing, you feel it um, getting weaker. And my pelvis was rising and I can feel him scraping me. It hurt. And all I could say was the ABCs and the Hail Mary over and over and over again over and over and over again. And then he stood up and he walked out. The nurse kept comforting Melissa. And I started crying and I looked at her and I said, did he just give me an abortion? And she said, you're so strong, you're so strong. And then she unstrapped me from the table and I was on the gurney and I was crying and everything changed because I knew something bad happened. Melissa didn't know exactly what happened, but she knew that what Dr. Salem had done ensured she wouldn't be pregnant. 
How Did Things Go So Wrong? reveals Bernice Young and reporter Jonathan Jones looked into this case as a part of a larger investigation into America's $3 billion in vitro fertilization industry. IVF clinics promise would-be parents a lot and deliver 65,000 babies a year. But IVF fails way more often than it succeeds. Do prospective parents even realize that? Bernice and Jonathan dig into this growing business that sells hope to people at one of the most vulnerable times in their lives. They begin by trying to understand the doctor that Melissa visited, Rafat Salem. Yeah, hi, my name is Jonathan Jones. I'm calling from Reveal. I'm trying to get in touch with Dr. Salem. We didn't reach him that time, but we kept trying. In the meantime, we learned about Dr. Salem in other ways. I think this is the one, room 112, which is... Uh the records office, so let's go in here. Jonathan and I went to the county courthouse in downtown Los Angeles. So let's put in Salem first, uh, Salem's name, and see what comes up uh, in the computer for cases. Okay, here we It's quite a number of cases there. We found that 10 patients had filed medical malpractice cases against Dr. Salem or his clinic, the Pacific Reproductive Center. He won one, lost one, and settled three. We also looked at how his clinic stacked up against others. Every year, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention collects and publishes success rates. We learned that Dr. Salem's numbers are really high. He plays this up in advertising, on his clinic website, and in this promotional video. I think we produce a good result here. If you look at our statistics compared to the rest of the clinic, I think our statistics stand tall. They stand way out. Dr. Salem has helped a lot of women have babies. His success rates are, in some cases, double the national average. But he emphasizes one CDC calculation over others. Most fertility doctors do the same. It's based on when a clinic harvests an egg from a patient, fertilizes it, and then transfers a fresh embryo, usually three to five days later, and the woman ends up delivering a baby. If you're a woman looking for a fertility clinic, Dr. Salem's statistics sound pretty good. But are they the best way to choose where to go for treatment? It turns out these success rates are pretty much the most complicated thing ever. We wanted to get a handle on them, so I talked to Dr. Vitaly Kushner, a fertility doctor based in New York. A few years back, Dr. Kushner and his colleagues looked into success rates. He says fertility clinics can game the system. The problem is the methodology that's used to calculate those success rates um, in that they allow certain things to be excluded from, uh, from statistical consideration. Clinics can hide data depending on the way they classify a procedure or patient. Clinics can also inflate their numbers by only treating the patients most likely to succeed at IVF. We found that centers will often compete with each other based on their success rates. So it's advantageous to a clinic to report uh, higher success rates than, than another neighboring clinic. And I think that over many years, that has transcended not just into selecting the type of patients that certain clinics take, but also into the type of treatments that the clinic chooses to provide. You also have to look at how clinics market themselves. We found lots of pledges of individual attention, promises of dreams fulfilled, even football analogies, from a Florida doctor who pledged to coach parents into the end zone. Team Brown never gives up, baby, because we know 
If we keep trying, we will reach our goal. And we noticed some clinics advertise their success at getting women pregnant, not delivering healthy babies. I visited one. The San Diego Fertility Center is right near the highway, just a couple of miles from the Pacific Ocean. It's sleek and modern, with a two-story glass atrium and airy conference rooms that give it an upscale ambiance. Marketing director Joanne Leviton shows us around. These are all our babies. <laughs> the babies, Joanne's pointing to her photos, hundreds of them. Eight tall framed collages line this wall. One baby grins from a bathtub wearing a wet, spiky hairdo. Another one sleeps in the lap of an enormous stuffed bear. Around um, the holidays, um, we get the Christmas cards and lots, hundreds from former patients and, you know, updates on their children, and they just love it. The doctors go crazy over it. Like most IVF centers, this clinic offers patients the option to use donor eggs. Healthy eggs, usually produced by young women whose ovaries are in peak condition. One of the clinic's brochures boasts a 70 to 90% success rate with donor eggs. But they're advertising pregnancies, not births. The brochure does not say that some of those pregnancies will end in miscarriages. So there's a journey (laughs) to get to a baby, as you know. Lisa Vandella is this clinic's CEO. A lot of um, spontaneous miscarriages happen in this later phase because there's a genetic abnormality with the embryo. She's the clinic's chief number cruncher. She fully understands that success rates can confuse potential customers. Because how did you gather your success rates? Did you count everybody that started on medication? Did you count everybody that had an egg retrieval? And did you get to try the treatment? Or did I tell you you couldn't try the treatment because I didn't want you in my success rates? There's a lot of different ways to make success rates look good or bad. This is far from what Congress intended when lawmakers weighed in 25 years ago. It was 1992, 14 years after the first test tube baby was born in England. The profession at that time was pretty much the Wild West. As far as standards or data or disclosure, there was just no there there. Oregon Senator Ron Wyden was in the House of Representatives at that time. He sponsored a bill requiring fertility clinics to tell the CDC how many times they did IVF and how many patients had babies after the treatment. Well, people tell me that it gives them the ability to shop and get a better deal for themselves. I mean, you can have people spending thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, sometimes more, for these services. And before this law, people really had nowhere to turn. But we found the opposite of what Wyden claims. Success rates can provide a veneer of legitimacy to troubled clinics and leave room for clinic operators to promise too much. Bernice met a woman who spent 11 years and more than $50,000 on fertility treatments that didn't work. Her name's Pamela Mahoney Sigdinis. She's a tall, thoughtful woman who lives in Silicon Valley. She comes across as compassionate and driven. She and her husband stopped fertility treatments when she was 40. At that point, she was physically, financially, and emotionally drained. You really don't think of yourself as full, as a a full um, woman. You sort of feel a bit like an alien. You, You feel 
very isolated. Pamela, now in her 50s, felt the fertility industry had led her on and led her astray. We're sort of socialized with this understanding that if you want children, you can have them. The World Health Organization defines infertility as the inability to conceive after one year of trying the good old-fashioned way. WHO calls that a disease. Fertility clinics promote their services as a cure. Pamela has become a writer and activist who believes clinic operators should tell patients a lot more than they do now. What's not published are failure rates. Nationwide, the failure rates are huge. Two out of every three IVF cycles don't result in a live birth. Two out of three. And failure rates are important because people need to come into the experience understanding there is a very high probability that the people involved will not end up with the baby they came to create. The CDC and the fertility industry group known as SART are moving toward publishing more nuanced information so patients may have a better idea if IVF can help them have a baby given their specific circumstances. But publish failure rates? Not likely, says Dimitri Kissin, head of the CDC's fertility section. The failure rates can be calculated, but for consumers, I think, uh, you know, when they start the new treatment, I think they want to focus on the goal, of, on, the, on the success of the treatment. So my personal opinion is that success rates will be more helpful. Others believe success rates don't help consumers at all. They present the success rate in a way that, unless you're incredibly sophisticated, you can't really understand what it means. Jim Hawkins teaches consumer law at the University of Houston and has studied the fertility industry. He says people should think about fertility doctors like they do used car dealers. When they kick the tires and say, this is not a very good car, you kind of assume they're just talking you down so that you'll expect less. And when they give you the huge number up front, you assume that they're trying to get as much money as they can. But with a doctor, you don't assume that they're trying to make money. So it's a different consumer area because people aren't suspicious at all. Even though fertility treatments are a big financial commitment, it costs $15,000 or more for one round of IVF. In the U.S., only 15 states require healthcare plans to pay for infertility care. And that coverage is often very limited. Some clinics offer package deals in which patients pay for two or more IVF cycles in advance. Jim takes issue with the way clinics promote these deals. He's even spotted a billboard right outside his apartment that put a picture of a healthy, smiling baby right next to the words, fall in love with our IVF specials. It makes me wish that they would focus their advertising on other things instead of playing on people's emotions. But emotions run deep in this business. For many patients, success rates offer a tangible sign of hope. And clinics like Dr. Salem's latch onto that hope in their advertising. This is the music for a video showing happy, healthy children, many cuddled in Dr. Salem's arms. Hope, choice, happiness, and payment plans to make them happen. 
We've seen how the fertility industry plays on those emotions, selling hope at a high price, using rates of success that aren't the best way for patients to decide how and where to get treatment. Bernice and Jonathan found out something else about the way clinics promote themselves. Doctors can boost their success rates by transferring more than one embryo at a time. So will I do two embryos? Yes. Did I transfer two embryos this morning? Yes. That could mean twins, triplets, or more, which puts moms and babies at risk. Do those patients know they're at risk of having twins? Yes. Do many of them want twins despite that risk? Yes. We'll tell you why when we come back. You're listening to Reveal. Reveal is brought to you by the University of Virginia and the Sacred and Profane podcast. We often hear it's not polite to bring up religion, but we lose so much when we don't talk about religion. Sacred and Profane is a podcast that isn't afraid to tackle religion. Next up, how white Christians built and maintained Confederate monuments across the U.S. Sacred and Profane is produced by the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab at the University of Virginia. Catch season two wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for Reveal comes from Blinds.com. Transforming your home into even more of a sanctuary is easy and affordable with Blinds.com. They make it simple to shop top-quality blinds, shades, and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering and free shipping. Blinds.com has helped millions of homeowners through the process, and they guarantee the perfect fit whether you DIY or have them install everything for you. Go right now and see how much you can save at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Ledson. Although science produced the first viable test tube baby almost 40 years ago, in vitro fertilization is still confusing territory for the growing number of people who consider it, and even to some who've already done it. At the start of this hour... We introduced you to Melissa Pineda. She attempted to have a child through IVF with the help of Dr. Rafat Salem. Months later, she couldn't shake the experience from her mind. I didn't know the truth yet. It was still all in my mind. I couldn't figure out at that time whether I was going crazy. I just didn't know what was the truth or not. Reveals Bernice Young and reporter Jonathan Jones kept trying to talk with Dr. Salem. Hi, Rosie. It's Jonathan Jones calling from Reveal. Just, uh, is Dr. Salem in? One thing they wanted to ask, why had Dr. Salem put three embryos into Melissa? Transferring more than one at a time is a common practice, even though, as Bernice and Jonathan discovered, that can lead to all kinds of health risks for moms and kids. Fertility doctors know this, yet they continue to do it. In fact, you can see the huge increase in the number of twins born since people started using IVF by texting the word twins to us now. While waiting for Dr. Salem to get back to them, Bernice and Jonathan visited two other Southern California fertility clinics to learn why doctors risk transferring more than one embryo in a woman at a time. I went to Reproductive Partners Fertility Center, San Diego. Lisa Yo manages the lab here. <laughs> okay, so this is our embryology lab. She opens a heavy door and leads me inside. This is where the miracle, we call it that, <laughs> happens. To prevent contamination of the embryos, I've put on a face mask, a hat, 
a blue paper gown, and booties over my street clothes and shoes. Inside the sterile zone, machines from refrigerator to shoebox size whir and beep. Can you tell us there's this interesting machine back here that's making all this interesting sound? What, it, what is it? Oh, it's a, it's a machine that um, tests the hormones. Um, so we do run uh, progesterone. Lisa has been an embryologist for almost 30 years. She's seen major advances in reproductive technology. For example, she can now pick the most viable sperm and inject one directly into a tiny egg. The technology for freezing embryos so that patients can use them in the future is faster and more reliable than what they used in the past. My name is Gabriel Garzo. Dr. Garzo is the medical director here. He says those technological improvements mean doctors can reduce how often they transfer multiple embryos at once. That solves what he sees as an IVF-related problem. Too many twins. There is a really ignorance or unawareness about the complications of twin pregnancies. The notion of twins seems pretty innocuous, but Dr. Garzo knows the real risks they pose. While the vast majority of twins will turn out fine, they are more likely than single babies to have birth defects or to die before delivery. Often, twins are not fully developed when they're born. Since most twin pregnancies are born, at about a month prior to, you know, the usual length of pregnancy, which is 40 weeks, there are significant developmental problems because the brain develops tremendously during the last month of gestation. It's not just babies who are at risk. Women carrying twins run a greater risk for gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, which is dangerously high blood pressure. Triplets and quadruplets used to be rare. Their numbers started to take off after the fertility business did. In response to a publicity frenzy over cases like Octomom, who delivered eight babies at once, fertility doctors changed their practices. Since then, the number of triplets or more born in the United States has dropped. But twins, that's a different story. Twin rates have risen by about 75% in the U.S. since IVF began. One out of every 30 babies born is now a twin, again in part because of IVF. Dr. Garzo is among the fertility doctors in this country who are committed to using just one embryo at a time for women under 35, unless there's a valid medical reason not to. Industry groups and the government recommend this practice. It's safest with the best long-term results. So we can offer to our patients not only a baby, but also a healthy baby, which is really what everybody wants. We decided to figure out how many doctors are like Dr. Garzo. That's why we analyzed data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention from the nearly 500 IVF clinics in the United States. We found that most are not like him. More than three-quarters of the clinics still routinely transfer more than one embryo at a time in women under 35, including the San Diego Fertility Center, the clinic Jonathan visited earlier. That's the one with all the baby photo collages. He met its medical director, Dr. Michael Kettle. Um, So I'll just try to give you my 30-second sort of overview. Yeah, who you are, what you're doing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. When we meet, he's wearing maroon scrubs with the clinic's name embroidered in white. We sit around a small table near a large window in his office. Diplomas and certificates fill the wall above us. 
There's UC San Diego, where I did my fellowship. There's Alpha Omega Alpha that says I was smart in medical school. <laughs> CDC data from 2014 shows that Dr. Kettle's clinic was responsible for producing more multiples, mostly twins, than almost any other clinic in California. He knows twins carry risks and sometimes need long-term expensive care. So if you ask the insurance company, they'll say twins is a disaster because, no doubt about it, a twin pregnancy costs them more money. There's a higher incidence of anything that you might want to say. The doctor tells me he won't do three embryos, but he says most of his patients want two embryos inserted. So will I do two embryos? Yes. Did I transfer two embryos this morning? Yes. So it's something that we feel like we want to give the patient um, a major role in that decision-making process. Do those patients know they're at risk of having twins? Yes. Do many of them want twins despite that risk? Yes. Well, I guess one of the things you said was that you would counsel them, and I'm wondering what you would say to them in terms of counseling them about the risks. Yeah, I have a sheet, if you want to see it, that, mm -hmm. uh, that talks about the risk of twins. This is one I got from a huge practice in New Zealand. I just got this, so I want to put this onto our letterhead and our, our okay. stuff, but it's, it's interesting reading. Mm -hmm. Risk to the mother, hospitalization for ovarian hyperstimulation, um, two times higher. The risk of serious brain hemorrhage around birth to the baby is five times higher with twins. Respiratory distress is six times higher with twins. Cerebral palsy is five times higher with twins. Now, that said, uh, the other interesting statistic is that most twins do fine. So yeah, it's five times higher, but it's not 100% of the time. And he goes with that, not all the time. A risk Dr. Kettle considers worth taking. But how does it work out for his patients? It's hard to tell because the industry just started releasing data that would help figure that out. Only two years' worth are available. In 2014, 8% of the babies born to women under 35 who did IVF at his clinic arrived very premature. That's about twice the national average. Very premature means born more than a month early. The clinic's numbers improved significantly in 2015. Dr. Kettle tells me he rarely knows what happens to preemies, twins, or any children born to parents treated at his clinic. You're aware of things that happen up to the birth of the babies, um, but then follow-up after that is nigh into impossible. When things don't go well, it can mean a lifetime of challenges. Bernice has one woman's story. Janet farrell Leontu is a communications professor who lives just outside New York City. She did IVF four times. The first doctor actually said, you do IVF, hopefully you get two eggs, two fertilized eggs, hopefully it's a boy and a girl, instant family. And I bought in to that mentality. She says no doctor mentioned any risks around carrying multiples or made time to discuss them. In each instance, I was asked, how many fertilized eggs do you want to transfer while well, I'm on the table, ready for the procedure? Okay, we have these many eggs. How many would you like to put in? I didn't know any better because that was the way it was done each time. On her last try at IVF, she gave birth to twin boys. This is Andreas and this is Zachary. 
Janet keeps a black and white photo of the boys as toddlers beside her desk. In it, both of her sons are grinning. Yeah, how old are they? They look about two and a half to me, or three, maybe? Her sons are 14 years old now, and the risks we've heard about twins have become real. Zachary is active in band, sports, and school. His twin, Andreas, can't speak, feed himself, or move on his own. He's been diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Janet firmly believes the number of multiple pregnancies would drop if fertility doctors routinely spelled out the risks. They're complicit in creating children who have disability. A population of kids, several generations of kids with disability. Andres is an upbeat, skinny kid who loves to ride in his dad's convertible. Janet already imagines his life as an adult. Painful as it is for her to say, this is what she hopes she'll live to do. There I am. Absolutely, right? Of, um, I don't want him to be in the world without me, without us. Yeah. Now let's be clear here. The vast majority of twin babies turn out just fine. While the risk of cerebral palsy runs higher in twins, doctors can never be sure what causes it. That still leaves us with one question. Why are some doctors so driven to transfer more than one embryo at a time? It goes back to those success rates we've been talking about. The way the CDC tallies the success rates doctors advertise the most counts only what happens the first time a doctor inserts embryos into a woman, right after her eggs are collected. Just that first try. Using multiple embryos does boost the chance of a pregnancy. But as we've heard, the risk isn't necessarily worth it. Because if a woman freezes her good quality embryos and inserts them individually, her chance of getting pregnant over time is just about the same. In other words, the way success rates are calculated gives doctors an incentive to transfer multiple embryos more often than patients need. That exposes patients to unnecessary risk. To patients who want to take that risk, twins may seem easier and cheaper than repeating IVF, but Bernice and Jonathan discovered that patients often don't get enough information or opportunity to really consider their options. That's not the case everywhere. Many European countries and Australia have policies that encourage doctors to transfer just one embryo at a time. The twin rate in those places is much lower than here in the U.S. The CDC plans to change the way it publishes data by 2019. It's an effort to increase the number of single embryo transfers done here. Next up, Bernice and Jonathan meet Dr. Salem. But you would agree it's rare to get the written consent after the procedure rather than before. Well, to be honest with you, I don't know. And they finally get to the bottom of Melissa Pineda's story. If you want to see what Dr. Salem looks like, text doctor to us right now. You're listening to Reveal. From the Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. We've been investigating this hour the business of making babies in a lab. More and more people in the U.S. and around the world rely on fertility doctors for help having children. For many would-be parents, this industry has worked miracles 
It's also a business that offers few protections to consumers, even as they fork over thousands of dollars with no guarantee of success. Earlier, Melissa Pineda told us how things went wrong at the Pacific Reproductive Center run by Dr. Rafat Salem. He'd called her into his clinic on a Sunday, two days after transferring embryos into her womb. She thought he was going to examine her, but what she experienced was a scraping feeling inside. After he finished and left the room, a nurse stayed standing next to Melissa's bed. And I started crying, and I looked at her, and I said, did he just give me an abortion? And she said, you're so strong, you're so strong. And then she unstrapped me from a table, and I was on the gurney, and I was crying, and everything changed because I knew something bad happened. That something bad turned out to be a D and C. It's a surgical procedure doctors use to remove tissue from inside a uterus. Melissa didn't know why Dr. Salem had performed the procedure. She and her husband David said they didn't find out the truth until they sued Dr. Salem. You can see a snapshot of some of Melissa's deposition by texting lawsuit to us. Reporter Jonathan Jones and Reveal's Bernice Yearn spent months tracking down the full story and finally arrived at Dr. Salem's clinic, where it all started. It took nearly eight months of email and phone requests before we got Dr. Rifat Salem to sit down and talk with us. His business includes four fertility clinics and a group of surgical centers in the Los Angeles area. At his main clinic in Torrance, we pull open the glass entry doors and take the elevator to reception on the second floor. A flat screen TV plays in the tidy waiting room. A handful of patients talk quietly. It feels pretty calm for a place where big life decisions happen. Dr. Salem, how are you? Good morning. How are you doing? Dr. Salem welcomes us into his small office, back near the exam rooms. He's in sky blue scrubs and white doctor's coat. We asked him to ballpark how many babies he's helped create over the decades he's been doing this. In the tens of thousands, how can I tell? You think I know? I don't know. In the tens of thousands, a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. He's been in the IVF business since the early days. We would do a baby reunion every year. I remember in 1997, how long that ago? 20 years ago? Mm -hmm. I had a thousand baby attending my baby reunion. 2015 figures show Dr. Salem's Pacific Reproductive Center was one of the top clinics in the country for births through IVF. We asked how he achieves these sky-high success rates. He clicked a ballpoint pen and grabbed a piece of paper. This is part of the preparation. Why we do better. And he started to draw an anatomy lesson. This is uterus. This is cervix. Vagina. This is tube. This is ovaries here. Mm-hmm. All right? Dr. Salem hangs his success on several factors. First, an extra close examination of the uterus to find any folds and fibroids that might make it hard for a pregnancy to take. Second, removal of the eggs from a woman's ovaries only at their ripest time. Third, staffing the clinic with skilled embryologists. And there's more. Come with me. Okay. okay. I'm going to go the roof. I'm sure how we build our IVF lab. This was designed by somebody. He takes us up the back staircase to the roof, where he shows off the air ducts that connect to his lab. Sophisticated system we built for the IVF lab. And what does this do? Filters and HIPAA filter and filter to make sure the environment there is clean. Okay. Okay. It's hard to know how any of this affects his numbers. 
As we've heard this hour, clinics can hide a lot of important information behind impressive IVF success rates, and doctors can take unnecessary risks to boost them. Still, Dr. Salem consistently promotes the figure as the best way for fertility patients to find a good clinic. Well, that's the final answer. The final answer. You know what I mean? It is if you have a good success rate, it means everything work. Everything work. But we found you can't judge a clinic entirely on its success rates. Potential patients should look at other indicators of quality care. How closely doctors stick to transferring one embryo at a time, and how many healthy, full-term babies a clinic produces overall. Many patients told us the most useful thing they did was consult with several doctors before choosing a clinic. Nisa Wilson did just that. Early on, she met with Dr. Salem. She investigates consumer fraud for a living, so she tuned in to the specific words he used as they discussed her circumstances. Dr. Salem used old and older. It's like key words, and if you... I'm an investigator. I know how to manipulate conversations. Not that I'm trying to feed them anything, but I'm going to get them to react. And that's kind of how Dr. Salem dealt with everything, is that he gave you aggressive words that you would react to and would chip away at you, you know, in your vulnerable state. Nisa knew the desire to have a baby can lead people to liquidate their retirement savings or mortgage their homes to pay for fertility treatments. Still, she and her partner were surprised at how quickly the conversation turned to money. After we met with Dr. Salem, we met with a nurse, and she talked about different um, possible financial structures of paying for the what-ifs. They were so interested in making sure they had a step foot forward and getting things signed so that you would have to be in financing of something um, and, and be obligated in some way for payment to them. They wanted money, is basically what I felt. Dr. Salem says he gives patients options so they can make their own decisions. Like many in the industry, he offers package deals, pay in advance for two or three-for-one IVF cycles. If the patient gets pregnant right away, some clinics keep the extra money. If the patient goes through several rounds of IVF, the clinic won't make as much. Some programs offer money-back guarantee if no pregnancy happens. Sharon McKenzie, the financial coordinator at Dr. Salem's Specific Reproductive Center, says the setup helps patients and doctors share financial risk. It's not often they get it in the first cycle. It's usually two or three. And if they hit the second cycle, they've already gotten a discount. If they hit the third cycle, it's a big discount. Because it's so hard for patients to evaluate their prospects of success, it's hard to figure out if this offer is a good match for their own circumstances. The Fertility Industry Association warns about the potential for coercion. Clinics choose who can participate. Often these deals do not include everything a patient needs for IVF. And some count success as a pregnancy, not a child. It's also really difficult for consumers to get details of lawsuits against doctors. We analyzed federal data from 1990 through last year and learned that Dr. Salem is among just 1% of physicians nationwide who have made at least four payouts to patients after lawsuits. Even harder to confirm, confidential settlements between doctors and patients, or when a doctor's previous clients have had experiences like Melissa Pineda. We do a very sophisticated surgery here, and when we take the eggs, eggs goes to the lab right there. Dr. Salem shows us his labs and patient rooms nearby. 
When Melissa arrived here that Sunday morning for what she thought would be an exam, she lay on a bed in one of these rooms. We've heard what she experienced there. But remember, at that time, Melissa says she didn't know exactly what Dr. Salem had done or why. We asked the doctor to explain. He says he called Melissa in that day to fix a mistake. The mistake was made innocently by my embryologist. She pulled the wrong dish. Pulled the wrong Petri dish. Someone else's Petri dish. Which was genetically abnormal embryo ready to be discarded. And she loaded the three and I transferred the embryo. Dr. Salem says the lab was supposed to get rid of the other couple's embryos. Melissa knew Dr. Salem had transferred three embryos into her. But she says she didn't know they belonged to someone else. She'd expected an exam. When she felt him scraping inside her, she feared that he was trying to clear her womb. Melissa says she most certainly had not given him permission to do that. Dr. Salem insists that's not true. Lie. L-I, whatever, is a lie. And I'm very upset, but I'm not angry from her. During our interview, he calls in staff to back him up. Let me see if I can see my nurse did that here. I hopefully still here. Probably she left already. Is Kate still there? Kate and Rose, can you please? Thank you. So, there you go. This is what not angry from her. Kate, come here. Kate. Kate is in charge of the operating room here. This is a woman where, where everybody loves her. You know what I mean? She's the most straight person you'll ever get in your life from Kate. We talk about the Benita case here, right? Uh, uh-huh. We talk about the consent. Mm-hmm. Tell me what happened. Uh, what happened with the consent? Yeah. What do you mean, when she signed it with the procedure? Or yeah. what did you want to talk about, though? Uh, Melissa signed a consent Tell form for the abortion procedure. I'm an investigator. I know how to manipulate conversation. It looks like she signed it afterward. Right, she did. But she walked in, she knows what it is. Yeah, there was definitely, oh, okay, so there was definitely verbal consent. Dr. Salem talked to the patient, I talked to the patient, everyone talked to her. And And did she know that that there had been a wrong embryo in place? Well, definitely, she told, I remember that very well. When I got there, she said, I said, what are we doing? At that point, I was still waiting to find out what had happened. And then when I saw her, she said, they put the wrong embryos or something like that. I don't, I got the wrong embryos and we need to take care of it now. So she definitely, I know for sure she understood that. Dr. Salem is going international. You would agree it's rare to get the written consent after the procedure rather than before. Well, to be honest with you, I don't know. Uh, Yes, the right thing to do it before. uh, But again, you know, just what, yesterday I did a procedure. And then we had to go and look, do a laparoscopy. She did not sign a consent for the laparoscopy. In a time of emergency, you don't need a consent. So we do it, you know what I mean? We deal with normal people and they know exactly our intention, you know what I mean? Uh, oral consent or oral contract, and she still signed it at the end of the day, she did not object. She knows exactly what she's doing. Dr. Salem didn't follow standard medical practice with Melissa in a couple of other ways. Experts hired by his own lawyers testified that he failed to properly document the medical advice he had given to the Pinedas. They said he should have given them more time to think about their options, including the option to do nothing. Dr. Salem regards people who sued him over the way he runs his clinic as jealous rivals, or... Angry patient. I mean, patient that comes so emotionally here, 
and if they do not get pregnant, they point the finger to anybody. He thinks that instead of suing him, Melissa should have let him try another round of IVF. Swear to God, she could have walked away with another baby with us. If, if she didn't think that she gets some money, what it worth for her, compared she could have got her baby with us again. The Pinedas are dumbfounded by everything he told us. We asked them if they had understood in advance what procedure he planned to do. David says Dr. Salem spelled out nothing. He tried to sweet-talk us and promise, and us promise us and fool us to, so we had no clue what was about to take place. Because if had he said, okay, look, I'm about to give your wife an abortion, she, you know, all the things that took place, if he had said just, just the first thing that I said, I would have looked at him and said, you're crazy. We're going home. I don't know what's going on. We'll figure it out. We'll get a lawyer, whatever. We'll, we'll work this out. But we're not going to just let you do what you want right now because you guys made a mistake. The Pinedas say they did not realize that the doctor had inserted someone else's embryos until months later when their lawyer deposed Dr. Salem under oath. That knowledge upset Melissa even more. My heart was so broken and I just cried constantly about those babies. Whose babies were they? I would have given birth to someone else's babies. I would have loved to have done that for someone. I just, I was so overwhelmed. David still feels vulnerable and angry. If we ever allowed it again, which we wouldn't, I would say, I want to see the process. I want to see what it is you're doing so I know that you're doing what you're supposed to be. Because in reality, we have no idea. Last fall, David and Melissa settled their lawsuit against Dr. Salem the day it was supposed to go to trial. Even though Dr. Salem claims the Pinedas lied about what they knew, he paid them $250,000. By settling, he doesn't admit liability. The couple tried IVF again at a different clinic. Melissa got pregnant twice and miscarried both times. Three years after her experience with Dr. Salem, longing still shadows even happy times for Melissa. Um, Okay, Piper, go run in there. I'll be in there in a minute, okay? I love you. She drops off her seven-year-old daughter, Piper Joy, at tumbling class, then lingers in her parked car. She still wishes she could have another child. Not because we need more on our plate, because I still have so much love, and I've been blessed with so much, and there's so many people that don't have. I'm just... That's who I am. That's why I wanted more children, because I still have so much more love in my heart. During the decades fertility science has developed, society's changed. There are more same-sex couples with the full rights and privileges of marriage and parenthood, and more single women who choose to become mothers. Some workplaces, including the U.S. military, now cover the cost for their personnel to harvest and freeze their eggs and sperm so they can focus on their careers first and on having children later. All of this means the fertility business touches an ever-increasing number of people's lives and is expanding. Dr. Salem is going international. Jamal and Layla have been married for 10 years and for the past three have been unsuccessfully trying to have children. After trying every home remedy option known to mankind, a friend introduced them to PRC Dubai. That's right. Dr. Salem's clinic has opened up shop in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates. 
the website trumpets the arrival of a medical practice with 25 years of success in America. We create families every day, and our success is measured in birthdays. Thanks to Jonathan Jones and Bernice Yearn for bringing us their story on the IVF industry. Their editor was Andy Donahue. To read their full investigation, including three ideas on how to solve some of the problems we heard about today, go to revealnews.org. Emily Harris was our lead producer on today's show. Our editor was Cheryl Duvall. Our staff includes Stan Alcorn, Fernanda Camarena, Julia B. Chan, Mwenda Hasey, Catherine Miskowski, Michael Montgomery, David Richard, Nina Satija, Michael Schiller, Ike Shrish Kandaraja, Laura Starcheski, and Amy Walters. Our sound design team is the Wonder Twins, my man, Jay Breezy, Mr. Jim Briggs, and Claire C. Note Mullen, with help from Catherine Raimondo. Our head of studio is Krista Scharfenberg. Amy Powell is our editor-in-chief. Suzanne Reber is our executive editor, and our executive producer is Kevin Sullivan. Our theme music is by Camarado. Lightning. Support for Reveals provided by the Reva and David Logan Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation. Reveal is a co-production of the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I'm Al Letson, and remember, there is always more to the story. The story.